0: Jesus, we confess that you are the king among us. So would you reign in this room, in our thoughts, in our hearts. Would you change us, make us different people, more like you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you and glad to be with you who are watching online. Uh, I've been interviewing candidates for the last six weeks for this open position that we had in Global Missions, and the last step in the process uh, was a panel inter- interview. And the panel was made up of various uh, team members from the Missions and Serve department, and each of our finalists had been asked to prepare a, um, an assignment uh, that they were to complete and then present it to us during the first part of the panel interview. Now, one of our candidates brought Nerf dart guns for the panel, and he put one gun in front of each of us and then started his presentation. Now, he taped this big map of the world to the wall, and, you know, he'd said some things about the world, and then he invited us to aim and shoot at anything we wanted to. Well, Scott Mann, my teammate, my colleague, my former right-hand man, pointed his gun at me and shot me. Well, immediately, the rest of the team did the same. Even my trusted assistant, Elizabeth, here, bounced a Nerf dart right off my forehead. Now, apparently, no one in the room thought uh, about, like, aiming their gun at the map, which was what we were supposed to do. (laughs) Apparently, no one in the room thought, I like Rich. I don't want to shoot him with a dart. Apparently, I forgot to invite that member of my team for the panel interview because they all shot me. And then they picked up their darts and shot me again. And that, Bell Press, is how the Missions and Serve team interviews people. (laughs) Well, that totally caught me by surprise. And there have been many times in my life where I have been caught uh, by surprise, where something completely unexpected happened. Not just the funny stuff. But the not-so-funny stuff. Those times when I was asking, what is happening here? Why am I going through this? What is the purpose? Ever been there? We're going through this sermon series on the, second, on the book of uh, Second Corinthians in the Bible, and we've been talking about uh, how we respond when the path gets hard. And this applies to us on this personal level as much as it applies to us on a larger level. It applies to us on a personal level because we all face hardships. But there's more in this series than that. Because last fall we started talking about being pathfinders in a post-Christian culture where fewer and fewer people are self-identifying as Christian. Where we can be people who help other people know the love of Jesus for them. And that makes their lives new. Being a pathfinder in a post-Christian world can be hard. Now, hardships happen in our lives for lots of different reasons. Sometimes we experience them because of a bad choice that we've made or something dumb that we've done. And that causes our hardship, kind of like allowing someone to hand dart guns to your team. And so they shoot you with Nerf darts, but uh, something worse than that. Sometimes we experience hardship because we live in a fallen and broken world, and things like cancer or Alzheimer's or tragic accidents, natural disasters, they show us that this world is not as God designed it to be, and that he's going to come back and make all things new. And sometimes we experience hardship as a direct result of opposition to our own faith in Jesus. So today we're going to talk about hardship, how we face them, move through them as followers of Jesus. And I want to start today with a few caveats, three of them in particular. The first one is this, that hardship is not God's way of paying you back for some sin in your life. Maybe you've heard that before. But to say God works that way is just really crummy theology. We can do sinful things, and that causes our hardship. But God does not create hardship to pay us back for sin in our lives. Jesus has paid it all. Second, God never promises to deliver us from all our hardships. He promises to bring us through them. And third, some hardships, they're just here to stay with us. Sometimes there is no end to our hardships. The death of a child, a diagnosis of a chronic illness or disease, a permanent disability. Hardships that stay with us, though, don't have to define us. They can redefine us, redirect us, when we reframe our lives and recalibrate our priorities so that we can move forward and so that it doesn't consume us and eat us up inside. Now, if you're in that place then please talk with someone, with a friend or a pastor or a counselor. Get some help. Okay, so those are the caveats kind of going into this. There's always more to say around that. The high point of this passage as we look at it that Elizabeth read, the high point in chapter 4 comes at verse 6. Paul says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now Paul is referring back to Genesis chapter 1 and the creation narrative, where there was nothing. It was pre-time, it was pre-space. Then God spoke, and there was a beginning. There was sun and moon, land and sea, plants and animals, you and me, life. And Paul is capturing all of that, and he's saying in verse six, "God is up to it again." Except this time, it's not creation that God is doing, it's re-creation. God is recreating you and me, making us different people, changing our lives. And God has put that life-giving power, the Holy Spirit, in us. This power helps us live under God's influence and experience his presence no matter what we're going through in life. This power can fill us with God's courage, God's strength, God's joy in every area of our lives especially when we're facing difficult times. So Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I know what it's like to be well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want, because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So as we move into this topic today about hardship, this really is the starting point. It's recognizing that there is already a power at work within you, recreating you, making you more and more like Jesus. And this power will provide everything that you need. It will reveal God to you in ways that will want you to, uh, that will that will make you want to love Him more, and depend on Him more. So there's three things that I want to say today about hardship and how we as Christians move through those. And the first one is this. The following Jesus means the crown and the cross. We get both his victory over sin and death and we get his sufferings on the cross. Now... God is on this rescue mission. You know that. You've heard that uh, preached about so many times. God is on this rescue mission to reclaim everyone and everything that Satan stole from God at the fall. But the devil is not going to just sort of give all that stuff back to God without a fight. We, you and me, are in a spiritual battle with the enemy of our souls. And even though our enemy is overmatched because of the power that is within us, the enemy creates a lot of havoc, and that can harm us. The persecution of Christians worldwide is increasing. Christians are being tortured for their faith, illegally imprisoned, um, uh, executed for their faith. For the 14th year in a row, North Korea is the hardest country in the world to live in and be a Christian. As many of you know, Islamic extremism is the source behind most persecution of Christians. But Hindu nationalism is rising, particularly in places like India. Worldwide, 7,000 Christians last year lost their lives, were killed for faith-related reasons. And those numbers don't include what happened in North Korea and Syria and Iraq, because we can't get those numbers. As followers of Jesus... In this place, we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters who live in those places, who are being persecuted for their faith, because they are on the front lines of some of the darkest places in our world. Now, we in, here in Seattle and on the east side, the persecution that we face pales in comparison, but it's real nevertheless. Now, This last week, my wife and I, we had this piano delivered to our house. It was my mother-in-law's. And uh, she gave it to us. Well, the crew that was delivering the piano, they inadvertently uh, kind of knocked it and knocked this strip of molding off the side of the piano. It, it wasn't a big deal, you know. Oh, my gosh, the piano's ripped, you know. This is horrible. It wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. A little glue would fix that, you know. And after uh, they'd you know, brought the piano in, we had to sign some paperwork and fill out a performance evaluation for the crew. Well, the guy in charge, he wanted us to include the fact that they'd chipped the piano. And we didn't really want to get him in trouble, you know, and his boss wasn't there, so why does the boss need to know? But the guy said, I am a Christian, and I need to be truthful no matter what is going on. So please, tell what happened. Well, way to show up the pastor, you know. (laughs) Love it when that happens. I'm supposed to say stuff like that. Well, you know, I I know that doesn't seem like much, but telling the truth was not optional for him, even if it meant trouble. Being a Christian meant taking the harder way for him. And we signed up for the harder way when we decided to follow Jesus, The kind of harder way that speaks the truth and love to a friend who's making bad choices, even though they may not like us when we do that. Or the getting humble and reconciling ourselves to someone in order to heal a relationship kind of way. Or the being honest about what has happened, even if that means you won't get the promotion, kind of hard way. Or the being faithful to your commitments, even if it costs you, kind of hard way. It's the courage to not give up, even when it hurts hard way. You see, we follow a risen Lord and a crucified Savior. And the truth about us is that we love the victory, but we don't want the suffering. We don't want the hardship. But if we are going to be pathfinders and help others know the love of Jesus and the power of his life at work in us, then we have to show everything about him his victory, and his suffering. And then trust Jesus will use all that to defeat Satan and make things new. So that's the first principle about facing our hardship. We get the crown and we get the cross. The second principle is that our hardship is ministry to a post-Christian world. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a ministry, a call. There is something that God wants you to do. And anything that gives you the opportunity to love someone, serve someone, help someone discover the forgiveness of Jesus, do something that points to Jesus and the new life that he gives, well, all of that is ministry. As long as you have a pulse and your lungs are still working, you have a ministry. You and I will have all eternity to enjoy the glory of God, new heaven, new earth, but we only have this lifetime to show other people what they can have in Jesus. And hardships and the way God brings us through them is one of the primary vehicles God uses to show other people this new life in Jesus. So Paul writes, we have this treasure, that recreating power that God has placed in us. We have that power, this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, no matter how hard we try to be healthy, wealthy, and have a good life, something inevitably will mess that up. You can count on it. Now, sickness, suffering, and hardship... Those things are universal. They show us how l- fragile our lives are and how little we can do to protect ourselves from those things. We are, Paul says, clay jars. But it is that clay jarness about us, our fragility, our vulnerability, that allows God to demonstrate the new life that comes from Him. God showcases His power and His love through our weakness. When I was a youth pastor, one of my high school leaders told me that her husband had left her. They'd been having problems for a long time. He said that he wasn't into Jesus. He'd been growing away from her for a long time, and so he left. Now, the good news is that eventually they went to some counseling, and when he saw her, it was clear to him that something really good was going on in her. What he didn't know at that time is that she'd been leaning hard on Jesus in a way that, like she never had and trusting Jesus to provide for everything. And that was changing her. She wasn't the mess that he expected to meet on that day when they started counseling. She was strong but humble, honest but courageous. She had deep peace and joy even though she was raising three teenage boys and facing the very real possibility of a divorce. Well, she learned some things that day in counseling that she needed to work on, so she confessed those things to him and um, asked his forgiveness for the ways that she hadn't loved him. And then seeing her each week during counseling, that made him recognize that there was this huge hole in his life, and he wanted what she had. So, in his own timing and in his own way, he recommitted his life to Jesus. And suddenly he started to see his own shortcomings. He began to experience Jesus carrying him through this time as well. A few months later, he moved back in with her, and they've been together since. Now, that doesn't mean everything was just great, because they had a lot of work to do in their marriage, and they, uh, they've been working on it. He had to reconcile with his kids. That took a lot of time. She had to learn to trust him again, and that took a long time. Now, eventually, they got up in front of the church that I was in at the time, and they shared their testimony, brutal honesty, the whole thing. But that started... This marriage men- uh, mentoring ministry, couples started coming to them to asking, ask them for coaching and for help, and as a result, they ended up saving many marriages. Now, she was this clay jar with a mighty power inside of her that ministered to her husband and helped him see Jesus through her, so he gave his life to Jesus Now they have a stronger, richer, fuller marriage, and they are mentoring other couples and rescuing many marriages. The point is that our hardship is ministry. It demonstrates Jesus' life in us. No one else and nothing else can do what Jesus can do when we need him most. And that is a surprising hope to a post-Christian culture. So, the first principle about hardship is hardship means we carry the crown of Jesus and we carry the cross of Jesus. And hardship, as we're moving through it, is ministry. Third, hardship increases our want to. We really don't know Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. Hardship can drive us like a nail deep into his deep, great love for us. And suddenly, worship and prayer become what we want to do, not something we feel like we have to do or because it's the Sunday thing to do. We worship what we're attracted to. We worship what we delight in. And that gives us more stability and spiritual power than we can even imagine. Now, Kyle Porter wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition describing every parent's worst nightmare. One month before Kyle and his wife, Jen's baby girl, was due to be born, her heart stopped beating, and she died in utero. And the shock and the weight of that was just devastating as you can imagine there were these occasional bitter sweet moments but those were quickly matched by these sad brutal moments and through it all they felt this amazing support and love by the community that was around them but more importantly they found this surprising strength and joy through a growing closeness with jesus now i want to read a little excerpt from kyle's article Uh, it's a little tough putting a baby in the ground changes you i don't know how it couldn't we went back to the church i found one of those strong men that i mentioned earlier and he held me and told me that nothing would ever be the same and he was right a 19th century hymnist named horatio safford knew the feelings we felt that day safford and his wife lost four daughters when their ship crossing the atlantic sank He then wrote what might be the most famous hymn ever written. Whenever peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The sorrow that flowed that week was unspeakable. And we can truthfully say, and I'm continuing with what Kyle wrote, we can truthfully say the Lord is good in both the joy and the sorrow, if not greater in the sorrow. That is why I can say we lost a child and gained everything. Christ is everything, or he is nothing. We lost so much but gained so much more. We got more of the Lord than I knew was possible for a human to get. Suffering is one of the great instruments in God's hands to continue to reveal to us our dependence on him and our hope in him. God is good to give us the greatest gift he can give us, which is more of himself. And he's God, however he chooses to deliver that gift. We can now testify the truth in these words. We had two healthy kids and one on the way. God is good. We have two healthy kids, and the one on the way has died, and God is even greater than we thought he was. Now looking forward to the birth of a third child, Kyle and Jen experienced the crown and the cross. Their hardship became ministry, and they were able to describe the goodness of God to the people around them, a goodness that carried them through it. And that discovery increased their want to made them want to know Jesus more, depend on him more, love him more. Suffering is at the heart of the Christian story. Jesus gave up all he had in heaven so that he could be clothed in all we had here on earth. Born the son of a carpenter, he took the worst this world has to offer. He took all of our sin, our, our brokenness, our shame, And in return, he was beaten, whipped, and hung on a cross to die. He took what we deserved. And the one thing that could separate us from God forever, and he paid for it all so that we could live in his courage, move in his freedom, go in his joy, until that one day when we will live with him forever. Jesus is all we have Jesus is all we need, and that is enough. So what are you facing these days that you need Jesus to bring you through? And how will others see Jesus' power at work in you? So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this power that is in us, and we pray that you would reveal more of it. Lord, I pray today for healing for those who are experiencing a hardship without end. And I pray that you would use this, Lord, your power to, um, to recalibrate, reframe lives. Not that we move on and forget, but that we get deeper meaning and more importantly, the gift of a deeper uh, relationship with you. So Jesus, would you move in our hardship? Would you bring us through? Would you use us as a witness to a world that desperately needs you? And we pray this in your name. Amen.